give Second Peter to a close. We have arrived at the end of the book where we find some final exhortations in a recapitulation fashion. There's just a, a brief repeat of a number of thoughts that are scattered throughout Second Peter to try to tie those ends together to uh, bring to a conclusion the thoughts of Second Peter. I'm just waiting until all of our handouts are distributed this evening. So the theme tonight is the proper response to the knowledge that we have concerning the Lord's return. That's where we left off. It's been a, a while since we've been in Second Peter. But we looked at the promise of Christ's coming, the reality of that promise. He is not slow. The scripture says, as some people count slowness, uh, he is not a procrastinator. He is not uh, dilly-dallied, but uh, he is patient. He's waiting for the last individual that is going to be converted, come to faith, and when that happens, he is going to return. So how should we live in light of the knowledge of the Lord's return? Those are the concluding thoughts. First, since we are anticipating the Lord's return, we should do our best to be living appropriately when he comes. 2 Peter 3.14 states, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Be diligent. Put forth every effort. Give it your all. Give it your complete and full attention. The idea is that we are to be consumed with the idea that the Lord is going to return. It should govern every facet of our life. That knowledge should permeate every decision. We should be anticipating the Lord's return in the sense that we're going to be standing before him. We're going to be giving account for the way in which we live. We're going to be welcomed into his presence. We should live in light of that future event. And living in light of that future event is to produce within us certain characteristics. First are that we're to be at peace. Second Peter 3.14 Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Be found by him. When the Lord returns, he should find us in a peaceful condition, if you will. Now that peace is manifested in three ways. First, we're to be at peace with others. We're not to be striving, we're not to be complaining, we're not to be fault-finding, we're not to be bickering. We are to be at peace among ourselves, contented in our relationship with one another. Secondly, we are to be inwardly at peace. We're to be settled in our thinking. We should, again, be anticipating the Lord's return and not worry about future events and happenings, recognizing they're under the Lord's control. And then thirdly, we are to be at peace with ourselves, with ourselves. Secondly, we're to be pure in our character. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. And then the word spotless, spotless. I have uh, translated that uh, with a thought of purity. Literally, no stains that mar our character. Sin is described in 
a number of different ways in the Word of God. There are different terms for sin. One of them is iniquity. Iniquity. A good translation of iniquity would be filth. Sin is filthy. Sin makes you dirty. Sin produces stains that are uncomely, that are a turn-off, that aren't beautiful in any way. Now, I must confess to you that, of all things, I'm a pretty sloppy eater. I'd be a good candidate for a bib. Uh, I have a tendency to, you know, uh, I like pancakes with syrup. That, that, that's a bad thing for me. Syrup is, is not good. It's not good. Because it usually ends up on my tie. So, when I eat, I usually do this. I put my tie in because if it gets on my shirt, my tie can hide it. But, but I don't want this big, big spot on my tie. I can't tell you how many ties I have in my closet uh, that have big spots on them I can't wear. Now, why they're in my closet, I don't know. Why don't I just throw them away? Because I'm never going to wear them. Well, I guess I could put it under a sweater or something. But, you know, it's got this big, ugly spot, and it becomes unusable to me. The thought is that we're to be people that are pure, spotless, without stain, without mar, so that we can be most effective, most useful for God. Which brings us then to a close second. That is, we are to be faultless in our conduct. Be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. The idea of blameless is that, that no one can bring a valid accusation against us. That if people want to find fault with us, they're going to have to connive. They're going to have to lie. They're going to have to misrepresent the truth. Of course, the prime example of this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who was, in fact, spotless. He's a spotless Lamb of God. He was sinless. And he was blameless in the sense that there could not be a legitimate accusation brought against Jesus. Remember when they wanted to find fault with Jesus, what they ultimately had to do? They had to hire people to lie about what Jesus said. Because they couldn't find anything that was true that could stick in any kind of formal accusation against Jesus. So eventually they had to hire people that lied about what Jesus said. Because they couldn't find legitimate fault. We're to live our lives in such a way that if people are going to find fault with us, they're going to have to lie. They're going to have to bend the truth. They're going to have to bring false accusation. Now, none of us can do these things perfectly, but the idea is we're to strive to live this way. Try to strive to be spotless. Try to strive to be blameless. And then we are to be hopeful. Hopeful. Second Peter 3.15 And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. This flows right out of the section that we were in the last time that we met, talking about the Lord's return, talking about his promise, talking about how faithful he is, and the reason he had not yet returned is because that last person that is to be saved 
is uh, still out there. And when that last person to be saved is reached, then the Lord is going to return. So we anticipate the Lord's return, understanding why it is that it's taken so long. We appreciate, then, if you will, the delay of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful that he has not yet come because that last brother and sister of ours hasn't yet been reached. But interestingly enough, in the Gospels, it says that we are to hasten the Lord's return. How can we hasten the Lord's return? How can we speed up the Lord's return? How can we in any way affect when the Lord is going to come back? Well, the answer to that is the sooner that last person is reached, the quicker it is that they hear the gospel. When they come to faith, the Lord is going to return. We are actually to foster the Lord's return by faithfully declaring his word, faithfully taking his truth to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when that last person is reached, he will return. So we are to be hopeful, hopeful, encouraged, anticipating. Secondly, since we know that ungodliness is going to increase, we should be careful not to let the ungodliness of others deter us from right living. In the book of Second Peter, the idea is that things are going to get worse and worse before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. First, we have been informed that false teachers and scoffers shall arise. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, that this refers back to there are going to be scoffers and false teachers that arise in the last days. We are told that they are going to multiply. We're told that they're going to increase. Therefore, therefore, we are to be on the defensive. So be on your guard. Be alert. Be alert. Have your senses heightened. Uh, we now live in a society that is very much concerned about terrorist attack. And there are different codes, different colors that are used for the kinds of alert that we ought to be on uh, in uh, anticipating the fact that a terrorist may be uh, planning an attack in the very near future. So we live in different heightened states of awareness. That's the concept here. We're to live in a heightened state of awareness. Knowing that false teachers are going to increase, we should ever be more concerned about faithfulness in the word of God. What is ironical in all of that is we probably live in a day and age in which doctrine is minimized and Christian experience is maximized. There's a lot of talking about how we should live, very little talking about what we should believe. And if all times, if at any time, we should be alert to sound teaching, it ought to be now. And quite frankly, that's one of the reasons that false teaching is going to abound in the end of the ages is because there isn't going to be a concern for truth. There isn't going to be a concern for biblical, biblical uh, literacy and understanding of the truth. The scripture says that people are going to have itching ears. They, they're going to listen to what they want to listen to. And there are a lot of things they aren't going to be wanting to listen to. So we need to be on the alert. Next, 
We are not to go along with the sensual conduct of those who live an undisciplined life. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, last, being carried away by the air of unprincipled men. Unprincipled men. Also stated in 2 Peter 2.7, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. At the very end of my Sunday school class this morning, we got into this concept. The concept is that the world lives by its senses. It is sensual in terms of desires. Touch, taste, feel. Those senses rule the behavioral patterns of our world. People do what they feel like. People do what gratifies their needs. They satisfy their sexual lusts. They give into their emotions. The scripture says that we are to live by principle. Not by our senses, but by our reasoned faith. Uh, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And that you be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That our lives are transformed by what we believe, what we know to be true. Not by what we feel. And that is one of the big problems Today, when I'm talking about church and the lack of doctrine is because what has replaced doctrine is an emotionalism that tries to reach people's emotions and tries to get emotional appeals. Rather than to give because people are poor, we show a sign of a poor person living in poverty with the express intent of creating an emotional response. So that we give because we pity. We give because we are moved. Not because we are blessed of God. Not because we have a responsibility, a duty. But it is the emotion. But the problems with emotions is they're short-lived. They come and they go. You remove the picture. And then the motivation to give dies. So even in good things... We can be ruled by our emotions, but we are to be ruled by principle, by what we know to be right. And that causes self-discipline, which it says that these are unprincipled men or undisciplined men. We are self-disciplined. We govern ourselves. We hold ourselves responsible to do what is right, which then brings us to the next state. You see these flow out of each other. We are to remain unshaken in commitment to do what is right. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the air of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. That in rubbing shoulders, sorry, in rubbing shoulders with people that are unprincipled, that get their choices from 
doing what is uh, doing what they feel like doing, emotional responses rather than principled responses. If we're not careful, that can rub out, uh, out that can rub off on us. Uh, you uh, been watching the Olympics? Okay, good. All right, some kind of response. Yes, okay. You're watching the Olympics? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, one of the things that, that I like to watch are the the short track speed skating. You know, where those four people are on that real small piece of ice, they're going around there, lickety split. And uh, the thing that you really got to watch out for in that race is that somebody doesn't wipe you out. You know, that uh, somebody loses their their footing and they take the next person out. Well, that's Kind of the picture that's here. As other people are losing their footing, be sure they don't take you out too. Be careful. As a young person, be careful. Because you're going to be rubbing shoulders constantly with people that are making their decisions based on what they feel like. Rather than based on what's right and wrong. And if you're not careful, they'll take you down with them. If you're not careful, they'll suck you into that. If you're not careful... That lifestyle can easily be adopted. So don't let them wipe you out. Don't let them shake you from your own steadfastness. Don't let them move you from your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we are to continue to make spiritual progress in our lives right up to the very end. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to constantly be growing, increasing in our uh, knowledge of the Lord, and as a result, experiencing more of His grace. Uh, we should never stop growing. Never stop growing. Now, there are people that have uh, pituitary gland problems, and they continue to grow. I think the tallest man right now is something like 8 foot, uh, 10 inches tall. He's got a problem in that he continues to grow. Suki is over six foot. She won't ever admit that. She says she's 5'11 and a half. She's over six foot. And uh, she continued to grow right into uh, her junior year in, in college. Uh, so she's taller in, as a junior in college than she was as a senior in high school. She continued to grow later than most people continue to grow. The idea here is, as Christians, we should never stop growing. Whether we've been saved for 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, we still have farther to go. We can still become more Christ-like. There is still more to learn about the truth of God's Word. We should never stop growing. And then lastly, we're to continue to make spiritual progress to the glory of Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.18, final verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory. To Him be glory. That's the ultimate goal. That we glorify him. That's why we make every diligent effort to be found by him. Because we want him to be well thought of. We want him to be well spoken of. We are his representatives. We are called Christians. And the term Christian simply means little Christ. We represent Christ to this world. And we want him to be glorified. We want him to be well thought of. We want him to be high and lifted up. We want people to identify with him. We want people to worship him. Therefore, we need to conduct ourselves in such a way that that's going to come to pass. We don't want to be a deterrent to other people's faith. We want to be an encouragement to other people's faith. We want to be an impetus for others placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
we want to set forth a good example for them. Thank you. Uh, Let's pray. Our Father, help us as we seek to live our lives. May we do so in a way in which you are truly honored and glorified. Watch over us. Protect us. Help us to be diligent and on the alert. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.